Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II. That's amazing. A retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. Again, that is bookriot.com slash readharder. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll discover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Thursday, February 13th, which is Galentine's Day. Hello, Yay. Kim! Hello, Alice. Happy Galentine's Day to you. And happy Galentine's Day to you, too. Last year, my sister and I had a Galentine's Day party, and it was awesome. Um, we didn't get our act together to do it this year, which I'm disappointed about, but uh, yay. Michelle hosts a Galentine's Day brunch every year, which I am not invited oh. to because I am <laughs> a significant <laughs> other. Uh, so I just find something to do out of the house. This year, I saw Little Women in theaters instead of being at the brunch. Oh, isn't that movie amazing? Oh, my it gosh. It was so good. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, I loved it. It was so good. Um, I I hear that your weather in Minnesota is terrible. So did you want to chat about that real quick? I mean, you know that it wouldn't be an episode of the podcast if I didn't spend part of it complaining about the weather. I feel like that's just like par for the course. Yeah, it's been super cold the last couple of days with like negative 20 to 30 degree wind chills, which is real gross. Do you guys have like an ice castle in Minnesota? My friend's been posting on Instagram and I didn't know if that was there or elsewhere. It could be here. We do have ice castles here. Uh, mm-hmm. They do like a win- big winter carnival and there are ice sculptures and stuff. Um, so that that could be here. Although I suppose other places may also have ice castles. Who knows? I wasn't just I wasn't just guessing. By the way, she lives there. <laughs> I oh, wasn't well, just like it was true. cold, so it seemed like <laughs> there. Um, but I didn't know she was traveling. But no, it looks awesome. Aside from it being made out of ice. Um, oh, I wanted to talk about, okay, so as you know, from Instagram, I got my engagement photos back from the photographer. Yes, they're so cute. We took a bunch of them at a Chicago uh, nonprofit bookstore called Open Books, which uh, they teach literacy programs and all their stock comes from donations. So it's like really reasonably priced. And we had an early date there. And so we were like, we really want to shoot here. And they were so nice. And all of the browsing bookish people just ignored us. It was great. We just were taking (laughs) photos around the store and they just like browsed around us. Um, But I wanted to ask our listeners. So we're having kind of a book themed wedding. 
And if you have any ideas, we kind of have an idea about centerpieces, but I'm just looking for anything with that theme to make it like special and interesting and just like extra bookish, please at me. I am at It's Alice Time. I'm just, you know, gathering ideas. Oh, that sounds so fun. What a good, what a good idea. Delightful. So my like one piece of like, here's some information about Kim, uh, is that I am in the middle of a process trying to um, break my habit of scrolling social media every morning um, because I decided it was like bad for my brain and like starts my day off in a way that makes me feel very scattered. Um, But it is, boy, that is, it is hard to break. Like the endorphins that you get from like scrolling through Instagram and seeing photos and stuff is really, it's really hard. So I could use some advice from people on how to how to do that because man, I'm I'm struggling with it, but I'm trying. Now, is this from the book How to Break Up with Your Cell Phone, or were you just like inspired by something else for that? That was one idea of it. Um, uh, Cal Newport wrote a book called Digital Minimalism that I read part of, and that has stuff about your phone. Jenny O'Dell's book How to Do Nothing has some stuff in it about like getting away from your phone. So it's just a bunch of different things, and just knowing like how it was making me feel um, sort of inspired me to try and do something about it. But man, it's, it's addictive. So that's my, uh, my plea for help, I guess. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, before we get into the meat of the podcast, we're going to uh, mention our other sponsor, which is our Random House. Honor Black History Month with authors and stories who promote equality, inspire us to explore new ways of thinking, and help us reconcile our past so we can all strive for a better future. Random House chooses to highlight the stories and works of Black authors across the diaspora. Random House values our own voices authors and hopes that readers will make these authors and perspectives a part of their reading list now and all year round. Good intentions aren't enough. Black history is history, and it's our responsibility to amplify Black voices. Um, and Random House has a huge number of really great Black authors to choose. Titles that they are featuring in their Black History Month um, celebration are li- books like Between the World and Me by ta Coates, The Girl Who Smiled Beads by Clementine Wamaria, which is amazing, uh, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, which I also love, Wellwood Black Girl by Gloria Diem, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Abraham X. Kendi, uh, Jubilee Recipes from Two Centuries of African-American Cooking by Tony Tipton Martin, and Here For It by R. Eric Thomas, among many others. So uh, we thank Random House for sponsoring us this week. All right. And so with that, we have uh, one kind of cool nonfiction news story that I found that I think I I saw it and I thought Alice is going to be super excited about this one. So uh, the headline from The Guardian is Whitechapel Mural Will Celebrate the Lives of Jack the Ripper's Victims. And so it is all about how Hallie Rubenhold, who is a social historian and author of The Five, which is a book you have talked about a couple of times, I think, right? Yep. Um, she is working to create a mural or planning a mural in Whitechapel that will be uh, a counterpoint to the, quote, atrocious ripper tours on offer in the area. And so she is working on putting together a big mural with the five women who are the victims of Jack the Ripper. Um, and it's going to be somewhere in that area. And I just thought that was super cool. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really, really awesome. I love that she is so dedicated to this idea. Um, and, you know, just changing the focus from whoever this murderer was to the actual women who uh, whose lives he cut short and just turning the focus on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like from the article, she is, has got some support and is just looking to try and figure out where that might go in the area. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will actually happen and we can report back on or 
share articles later that that has actually happened, which I think is super neat. So we'll link to that one in the show notes. All right. And so with that, we're going to get right into new books for this week. It's, uh, there's a bunch of good ones. And I think we've got a few kind of older ones to cover too, since we didn't do any new books last episode. So uh, you're up first. Yeah, my first new read for this week is Broken Faith Inside the Word of Faith Fellowship, One of America's Most Dangerous Cults by Mitch Weiss and Holbrook Moore. It comes out February 18th. This book blew my mind, mostly because it's this church is still in existence. It's still operating. So Holbrook Moore and Mitch Weiss are, um, I believe, AP reporters. Yes, they're AP reporters, and they interviewed... Gosh, hun- well, they did hundreds of interviews with ex-congregants and, you know, family members and looked at secretly recorded conversations and just like thousands of pages of documents to write this book. Um, they, Mitch Weiss is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And so they went into basically what the story is on this church. It's the headquarters are in North Carolina. The leader is actually a charismatic female minister named Jane Whaley, which I feel like you don't see mm-hmm. women cult leaders that often. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm probably going to have to say the word alleged with stuff, although I feel like due to the n- a number of uh, documented like interviews and, and sort of like uh, at the very least allegations of abuse, it can just sort of be called a cult because the stuff that's happening there is so horrendous. And just like the fact that, so she has tons of money And they keep, like, her church will be, like, attacked with, like, well, not attacked, but, like, hit with lawsuits by people who were abused in it. And because she has this, like, tenacious attitude towards just being, like, we are going to see this lawsuit to the very end and just, like, keep challenging it and challenging it. So it's one of those things where then the other person's money runs out and, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, Mm -hmm. that whole dynamic. Anyway, so they started out doing things like banning television but they were partially doing that in order to not let people see things like a documentary about how the church was abusive. So they were like, we're just, you, no one who's a member can watch television. And then they started uh, dictating when their followers would um, have sex and who they could marry. And it's just, it's so nuts because you think North Carolina and you don't necessarily equate it with like that level of control in a church. They also had, like, I mean, their LGBT members are extremely abused. And it's just like a, a it was a really, I, I keep wanting to say, like, scandalous, but that sounds almost like a salacious word. It's like a horrifying read, but also it makes you really glad that these reporters are, like, bringing it to light and trying to have more people be aware of what's going on in this church. So, again, it is broken faith. Inside the Word of Faith Fellowship, one of America's most dangerous cults by Mitch Weiss and Holbrook Moore. That sounds fascinating. Do they get into at all like what it means to have a female leader of this cult and like how that might be different from male cult leaders, or is that not really something the book gets at? I read it a couple months ago and to my memory that that part does not stick out in my okay. memory. It, it was a lot more about um following the paths of different congregants and kind of like how they eventually would leave the church. Some of them left and, you know, were suing them and then came back to the church. So it's very much like this path of like an, a, an abusive relationship um, in terms of this like cycle. But yeah, no, it's, it's really well done and uh, I recommend it highly. 
Oh, good one. Good pick, Alice. All right, so my first book is a work of nonviolent true crime. Uh, it's called The Scientist and the Spy, A True Story of China, the FBI, and Industrial Espionage by Mara Hisvindel. And it came out uh, February 4th from Riverhead Books. Um, and so the... The kind of true crime part of this story uh, started in September 2011 when uh, these two sheriff's deputies in Iowa saw three Chinese men, one they said in a suit, walking around in a cornfield that um, they knew to be growing a test crop for Monsanto. And so they um, kind of went up to the men because it's not something that they expected to see, kind of asked them what was going on. The men left. They filed a report. And what could have been sort of a non-incident blew up into a much bigger incident because it turns out that these men were working for a Chinese company and they were trying to steal the um, corn, the test corn and the different types of GMO varieties of corn that Monsanto and other companies were um, coming together. They were trying to steal them in a, a work of industrial espionage for China. So um, as the FBI starts to kind of put the pieces of this thing together, it launches this very elaborate multi-year investigation that involved bugging cars. It included FISA warrants. It included surveillance planes. And then these tailing efforts to try and follow people um, as they were driving through r the rural Midwest in farm fields. Um, and this was all launched uh, by the FBI in the name of protecting trade secrets secrets of Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer. Um, and so <laughs> the true crime part of this actually ends up like Monsanto and DuPont Pioneer are the victims in this case, which is really bizarre to read. So after kind of all of that effort, only one man was ever charged in this crime. His name was Robert Moe, and he was a Chinese man living in Florida who, um, with a family, a wife and two children, who wanted to be an academic but ended up working for his brother-in-law's agriculture company and got kind of pulled into this, like, bizarre world of corporate spying over uh, agricultural products. So um, that's the, like, true crime part of it. But then the book is super interesting because it ties in a bunch of other different kinds of related stories. So um, there's a whole section on the um, expanded use of FISA warrants beyond, like, um, terrorism and um, how FISA warrants are getting used in a lot of other kinds of cases that they weren't really intended for. Um, there is a whole section on the history of the United States trying to understand Chinese spying and how, for many years, um, U.S. Um, spy agencies and experts had a really misconceived idea of what Chinese spy tactics were like, and it's, um, which was super interesting. Um, there's a, a whole history about corporate espionage and how laws around that have changed over time. Um, and then looking at how companies are using the government to sort of protect their economic interests, even when they could certainly afford to deal with them themselves, and that the kind of economic um, impact of these corporate spying kinds of things is really <laughs> negligible in some senses. Um, and so just super interesting kind of all of the different threads that she is able to pull together that are tied into this one very particular crime story about stealing corn from Iowa. So um, I read this one when I was traveling. I read it on a plane. It was absolutely fascinating. Like I just kept kind of poking the person next to me who I was traveling with and being like, oh my gosh, did you know this thing was happening? Because um, I just thought it was it was really interesting. Um, and partially that might be my background. I used to live in um, a rural area that had a lot of corn. And so some of that agricultural stuff was interesting to me personally. But um, I thought it was really fun. So if you like nonviolent true crime, this is a really good one to pick up. Um, the Scientist and the Spy, A True Story of China, the FBI, and Industrial Espionage by Mara Hisvindal. I feel like any time cornfields come up, I want to talk about the Morrow plots at the University of Illinois mm -hmm. because they were... So 
Didn't didn't I talk about this on the podcast before? If I did, I don't remember. Good, because I'll tell you again. So <laughs> essentially, there, if you go to the University of Illinois in Urbana, Champaign, then there is a very very old experimental cornfield plot, and there are various stories about it. One is that if you go into it, uh, and this cornfield was planted in like the mid eighteen hundreds. But there's a story that if you go into it, you will automatically be expelled. I do not know if that's true. And that the undergraduate library was built underground in order to not throw uh, any kind of shadow on the cornfield, which I think might be true, uh, in fact, which is kind of cool then because we have an underground library. But um, yeah, so we just we very much prize that cornfield. So anytime I hear about people talking about a particular cornfield, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like the Morrow plot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. This is what happens when you grow up in the Midwest, you know. Know about corn. Yeah. Um, corn spiders. Okay. So my uh, next pick is A Map is Only One Story. 20 Writers on Immigration, Family, and the Meaning of Home. It's edited by Nicole Chung and Menshaw Demary. It was out February 11th from Catapult which is exciting because Catapult's pretty new, right? So I think this is their first anthology, actually, of their writers. Oh, cool. So this basically takes 20 stories um, about, right, immigration, which spans from um, El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, where that's the first story. So Victoria Blanco talks about growing up in El Paso and um, the kind of difference that happened throughout even just her childhood. And she hasn't, this was like going from the 80s, early 90s till now. So not a long period of time, but seeing the difference between like the Rio Grande uh, River has pretty much dried up because of irrigation. And so she used to watch people cross over it to get from Mexico to El Paso. And now that's become a lot harder because there's no river and then they built this big um wall there under George Bush and so people who had family in uh Ciudad Juarez and who were living in El Paso it's a lot harder for them to go visit them so it's like split up families um they're also let me <laughs> find the name the one of the earlier stories is uh this woman who uh is from India and she talks about how incredibly hard it is to travel with an Indian passport and she talks about how frustrating it is, like going, she was like going to Thailand and she was listening in this line to get a visa to all of these, you know, sort of like Western tourists being like, oh, we have to wait like three hours. And for her, it's such a complicated process. And three hours is like nothing. Well, this is Deepti Kapoor. And um, one of my favorite headers for that is the plan and how the plan panned out, which I was like, <laughs> excellent. Really like her sense of humor. So it's a lot of, you know, that's one of the things I love about anthologies. It's a lot of different voices and a lot of, um, it covers a lot of area. I mean, even just geographically speaking, but also I wanted to say like subjectly. And that's not a word in that sense. Anyway, subjectually, let's make that a word. Um, <laughs> but it's really good. It's pretty short. So if you just want, like, and it gives you a good primer. A lot of these people have a lot of other work, right? That's why they're being published in this. So if you find a writer whose voice you really like, you can then go out and seek out their other stuff. Um, again, this is A Map is Only One Story by, edited by Nicole Chung and Menchada Murray. Excellent. That sounds super good. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. 
Um, all right. So my second pick is called Children of the Land by Marcelo Hernandez Castillo, and it's a memoir. Uh, it came out January 28th from Harper, uh, and it is a memoir by a man who grew up as an undocumented immigrant in the United States. Um, and I was excited about this one, um, but I really, like, got the kind of um, – impetus to pick it up after kind of all of the controversy that has happened this year so far around American Dirt, which is a literary fiction uh, book about, um, written by a, a white woman about an immigrant experience that I think its marketing has been, uh, deceptive, we'll say. Um, and so I was looking for, uh, I wanted to highlight a book that's an own voices book about an immigration from Mexico and try to give that story a little bit more oomph. So that's part of the reason I'm talking about it. And also it's really great. So, um, so the book opens or, um, his family came to the United States when Hernandez Castillo was five years old, um, and he and his parents and his siblings were all undocumented. So he spent his childhood, hiding, essentially hiding in plain sight and paying attention basically at all times for fear of being seen and identified as an undocumented immigrant. So um, the very kind of first story in the memoir is uh, about him uh, when he's a teenager opening his the door to his home on a Sunday afternoon to find an ICE officer standing there and a bunch of other officers in a van out in the street and having them come in trying to do a raid on the home, their home to find his father, who they knew um, was not supposed to be there and who had recently returned to Mexico. And so he wasn't there, but they came anyway looking for him. And it um, he writes about how that all of a sudden, because of that experience, his home was no longer someplace to feel safe. It was no longer a place of refuge for him or his family. And um, just about how that kind of echoes through their lives. Um, and so then the book kind of jumps back and forth in time between um, him going to Mexico as an adult to visit his family after he um, is able to travel on a, a, a dreamer visa, I believe. Um, and or through the DACA program. And then his parents' stories about them growing up in Mexico and then deciding to come to the United States uh, illegally and what it was like kind of going back and forth between the United States and Mexico and how his father eventually got stuck in Mexico and wasn't able to return to the United States and what that separation did to their family. Um, it's about his uh, time as a teenager trying to find a way to work and support his family because they were separated. And um, it's just really... It's really beautiful, beautifully written. Um, Hernandez Castillo is a Pulitzer Prize winning poet, and I feel like you can see that in his writing. It's very uh, lyrical. It's very descriptive. Um, he's got a lot of <laughs> interesting chapter titles and that kind of thing. And I just, I found it very, um, just, just very good in a book that I wish people, more people were talking about, given that it is an own voices title about an issue that is important and in the news and a big deal right now. So um, definitely pick this one up if you can. Uh, Children of the Land by Marcelo Hernandez Castillo. Good job doing a nonfiction pick for that. Tying everything in with that. Yeah, awesome. My last new book is 18 Tiny Deaths. The Untold Story of Francis Glessner Lee and the Invention of Modern Forensics by Bruce Goldfarb. It was out February 4th from Source Books. Francis Glessner Lee is a Chicagoan, by the way. So I was very happy that this actually Source Books is like a sort of Chicago area publisher. So this is great. Um, so this is the story essentially of a wealthy young socialite who turned 
into the mother of modern forensics, which is really awesome. She was um, born in the 1870s. Her family, again, was like this very wealthy and influential Chicago family. You can still visit their mansion. It's very impressive. Um, And so she was never meant to have a career. And she's sort of not even stumbled into. She followed her interests and ended up creating this thing that is still used by uh, Detroit law enforcement officers. So she became fascinated with the investigation of violent crimes, and she just made this her life's work. And she's known for creating, if you're a true crime person, you're probably like, oh, yeah. Um, But she's known for creating the nutshell studies of unexplained death, which are these sort of like little rooms that she made that, and so they look kind of almost like a dollhouse or like a miniature kind of thing, right? Which is fine and innocuous, but in fact, it is, uh, they're crime scenes. So it's this like, <laughs> you have these um, really sort of horrifying deaths and she puts all these clues everywhere to sort of like teach law enforcement officers what to notice, what to look for in a crime scene. Like this, if you had seen this, then you would have been able to follow this to this, right? And like figure out the story. So she was also like just really interested in making forensics um, a field that was more widely accepted. It took a really long time for that to happen. I think some people saw her as overbearing, but I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, her being a woman who had a lot of power in the mid uh, to early to mid 19th, oh, sorry, 20th century. Um, she has a fascinating life at the very least. And if you want to learn more about her, again, that is 18 Tiny Deaths by Bruce Goldfarb. So glad you talked about that one. I almost grabbed that one, too, because it sounds just, like, so weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, like, what a weird, bizarre hobby, but then, like, also turns into a real thing. Like, that's so cool. Uh, what an awesome lady. All right. Um, so, yeah, that will wrap up our new book section this week. So uh, lots of good stuff coming out, which is really exciting. I feel like we're just getting into, like, the – the glut of new books is going to start in like March, I think. Yes, it's so exciting. It is exciting. All right. And so with that, we will switch gears into our uh, theme for this week. So since it is February, um, we wanted to do an episode talking about Black History Month and books that you could read by for Black History Month, either about Black history or by some of our favorite Black authors. Um, so we've got kind of a kind of a mix, I think, of history and contemporary writing. So um, I'm kind of excited about these. So um, my first pick is uh, Eloquent Rage, A Black Feminist Discovers Her Superpower by Brittany Cooper. Um, this book came out last year in March, March 2019. And this is one of those books that as I've been reading it, I just feel like it is so smart that I am not quite getting everything and that it's one of those books that I'm going to want to reread again just to feel like I really understand all the things she's trying to say but it's in a way that like makes me excited you know like it doesn't feel I don't feel bad that I'm gonna have to reread this one I feel excited that I'm gonna get to like come at it again with a different perspective having finished it so Mm -hmm. um anyway so it is about uh specifically black women's anger and how that anger can be a source of energy that um gives black women the strength to kind of keep fighting all of the racism and sexism and things that they face in the world today. Um and though it's a specifically about black women's anger and she always returns specifically to black women, there's a thought of it and I think that resonates with uh, other people who face different types of discrimination and sexism and that kind of stuff. So um while also kind of making you take 
take an uncomfortable personal look at your own uh, views and experiences, or at least that's been my experience reading it. So um, she looks at how um, anger, and specifically black women's anger, has been seen uh, as destructive, but how really it, it can be a force for change. And she uh, writes about women like Serena Williams and Beyonce and Michelle Obama and a ton of different people and uh, experiences to try and get at some of those ideas. And so it is about how having faith in those things and how women coming together and being there for each other um, can help kind of turn the tide against some of these really terrible things. Um, there's some really, really smart and beautiful essays in this one. There's a wonderful essay about her dad, and um, which also gets into ideas of violence and um, violence in um, communities of color and how uh, violence perpetrated by black men affects specifically black women and um, women and girls, which I thought was really powerful. Um, there's a really great essay about Hillary Clinton and her, uh, Brittany Cooper's kind of complicated feelings about Hillary Clinton and what it means to have strong female role models and what that can do for women uh, and black women and girls specifically. So I, um, I just, I found it really interesting and eye opening. And it's a book that I feel like I'm missing a lot of what she's trying to say and that I'm going to have to come back to it a few times to really get at it, but not because it's written in a, bad way but just because she's like grappling with some really big ideas that are are complicated and hard so but i really like it and i'm and i think it's very interesting so eloquent rage a black feminist discovers her superpower by Brittany cooper well, i've been meaning to like have that on my my top of my tbr list for a while and um mm -hmm. am i correct that the cover is really good it's pretty good yeah i mean it's not like i think the paperback cover is better than the hardcover one that i'm looking at Okay, that might be what I'm thinking of. But yeah, I love when a book is sort of like pushes you to yeah mm -hmm. go into it more. I, I do remember that like there's some things, okay, I'm going to go off on a really quick Great Gatsby sidebar, <laughs> which is that as a high schooler, I remember reading this one part of The Great Gatsby and being like, I know this is important and I know it means something, but I'm not smart enough right now to know what it means. Mm -hmm. So, but I feel like then I've never forgotten that and it's made me want to like keep thinking about it and talking. I brought that specific point up so many times so I really I really love books like that so yeah. that is awesome um my pick is a tie-in it is well sort of I would say so it is a black women's history of the United States by Dana Ramey Berry and Callie Nicole Gross it just came out it's a new release it's very exciting actually when I saw this coming out I was so jazzed that this was because Dana Ramey Berry uh, I have at least one other book by her. She is a, a brilliant academic. Um, Callie Nicole Gross is too. They are both award-winning historians. So they put like got together and created this. Um, the purpose was to make it like pretty readable history of uh, Black women in the United States. So they talk about, um, it's like this examination and celebration of Black womanhood. They start with the first African women who arrived um, to the uh, African-American women of today. They touch on exploration and contact, enslavement, the antebellum era, the Civil War and Reconstruction, the Great Migration, and the post-World War II era. So like civil rights and the Black Power movements, like they go from like the beginning of America and the Black experience in America to now. And each chapter in order to really sort of center, I feel like, you know, people relate to a single person. It's really hard to sympathize, empathize, whatever with, if you're talking about like a mass group of people, but people can connect with a single story and they use that really effectively 
in this book by starting each chapter with a vignette of a specific Black woman whose historical experience just sort of like embodies and reflects the spirit of her era. And so, quote, this ranges from the enslaved, the free, educators, politicians, artists, queer folks, disabled people, and activists, as well as those who lived outside the law. So they're really trying to encompass as much as they can the sort of like full breadth of Black women throughout like the history of the United States, which is so hard to do, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if you're trying to encompass any history of a people. Um, but I feel like they do such a brilliant job And again, I'm really glad this book was written. Uh, It is A Black Women's History of the United States by Dana Ramey Berry and Callie Nicole Gross. Great pick. Yeah, I think that is a really interesting um, potential pair with Aliquil Rage and kind of those two ideas. Yeah, definitely. So my next pick feels like it's a little bit out out in left field, but I was trying to um, pick books that we I had not talked about on the podcast before and that um, were by Black authors, but um, kind of came at Black history in a, a slightly different way. So um, the book is called Black Man in a White Coat, A Doctor's Reflections on Race and Medicine by Damon Tweedy. Um, and this is a book about by a Black doctor writing about his experiences in medicine, um, which I, I listened to on audiobook, I think, a couple of years, maybe like three years ago now, um, and thought it was really interesting at the time. So um, the book opens with uh, Damon Tweedy beginning his medical school career, uh, where he writes about his background uh, in a working-class segregation area won't matter that like medical school will be kind of this like great equalizer and everyone will um you know see him as a, a medical student just like everyone else except uh, obviously that doesn't happen um so he uh received a scholarship uh, quote designed to increase black student enrollment which he doesn't think is going to be a big deal until uh one of his professors during a class questions whether he should even be in medical school um i remember listening to that part and just being like just flabbergasted that like you would say that to a student. But um, that experience of having sort of his um, his talent and his ability called out in a place where he really thought that he would be on equal footing kind of has these echoes and reverberations through his career. Um, and he looks at how that affected him and how um, issues of race and racism affect healthcare more generally. So um, the book has, uh, in addition to being kind of his memoir, uh, his learning to be a physician and then becoming a physician, uh, it also looks at how black doctors and patients have challenges navigating the worlds of race and medicine um, and how race impacts his encounters with other doctors and uh, with his patients in both good and uh, bad and complicated ways. So, um, and how there are a lot of social and cultural and economic factors that connect to health problems in the Black community. Um, He writes about his own experiences being diagnosed with a chronic illness that's more common in Black men and kind of what that uh, experience was like for him. Um, And it just is very... um, it was very interesting. Um, I listened to it in an audiobook. I remember liking the audiobook. Um, I think it's just a, um, he's not a, he's a doctor, so he's not like a, a beautiful writer, but he is a good writer and he kind of writes about experiences, I think, pretty honestly and, um, in a really forthright and interesting way. So, uh, Black Man in a White Coat, A Doctor's Reflections on Race and Medicine by Damon Tweedy. Well, that's awesome. And that's like a really specific, you know, sort of experience too, mm-hmm. which, yeah. um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, I'm glad that you picked that. I feel like a lot of, well, my next one is a memoir, but I feel like a lot of our uh, picks can be kind of more general or like talking about the culture. So speaking specifically about someone's experience in a profession, um, I think is always interesting. And I love doctor memoirs. 
So my last pick is Black is the Body, Stories from My Grandmother's Time, My Mother's Time, and Mine by Emily Bernard. This was named a Best Book of the Year by NPR and Kirkus Reviews, I think within the last two years. So it's it's pretty new. So um, Bernard, she threw 12 uh, very personal essays. She talks about the experience of growing up Black in the South with a family name inherited from a white man, surviving a random stabbing at a New Haven coffee shop, um, marrying a white man from the North and bringing him home to her family, adopting two children from Ethiopia, and living and teaching in a primarily white New England college town. Um, so this is, it's a lot of experience, right? Like, oh my gosh, like I feel like any one of those you could write a whole book about. And um, she sort of distills it into these connected essays. And um, she says, Blackness is an art, not a science. It is a paradox, intangible and visceral, a situation and a story. It is the thread that connects these essays, but its ex- its significance as an experience emerges randomly, unpredictably. Race is the story of my life, and therefore Black is the body of this book. Which just like, oh my gosh, like the writing is so good. So again, if you would like an extremely well-written and uh, again, deeply personal essay collection, that is Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. That sounds super good. Yeah, you're totally right. As you were kind of reading that description, I was like, any one of those things would make a very interesting memoir. And I would read like that whole book about all of that. Yeah. Oh, man, so good. Um, all right. So my last pick is, I feel like maybe I've talked about it on the podcast before, which breaks my own, like, I'm trying to talk about books we haven't talked about before, but that's Do okay. it. Uh, it's called <laughs> One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy by Carol Anderson. And I am deeply fascinated by books about all of this stuff related to elections because I think it's uh, ridiculous. Um, so in this book, uh, so Carol Anderson, Carol Anderson is a historian, uh, and so in this book, she looks at uh, the United States history of voter suppression since the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. And so, yeah, so she looks at how um, when the Voting Rights Act was kind of gutted in 2013, how um, areas that had shown a history of racial discrimination were then allowed to change their voting requirements uh, without getting approval from the Department of Justice. And so they basically just got to go back to being um, uh, racist in their voting requirements uh in different ways. So she looks at how photo ID requirements affect uh, voters and voting rights. She looks at gerrymandering. She looks at poll closures, um, just all sorts of different ways that um, votes can be suppressed and um, voter suppression affects democracy. Um, it's a not a super fat book. Like, it's a pretty thin book. I remember reading it pretty quickly. But um, I thought it was really fascinating, especially given how much we know happened in, like, the 2016 election and then in 2018. And then what we're looking at going into 2020, I think anything we can do to read and learn about um, some of the ways that voting rights are being taken away from people is really important. Um, And so I think this is a good, nice, accessible book on that topic. So uh, that is One Person, No Vote, How Voter Suppression is Destroying Our Democracy by Carol Anderson. Uh, And so with that, we have wrapped up our uh, segment this week of uh, Black History Month books. There are obviously many, many more books that we could have recommended. I think our last episode with the 50 books probably had a bunch in there, too. But there's a few anyway to get you started if you're still looking for something. Uh, And so with that, we will wrap up the episode as we normally do by talking about the books we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Um, And I am kind of in the middle of two books right now. or I'm in the middle of one and excited to start another one, 
I guess is more accurate. So the book that I'm in the middle of reading is called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Carolyn Criado Perez, um, which is a book that came out, I think, in 2019. And it's all about how um, the data that we use to sort of like build the world is entirely based around men. So, um, Or how when we talk about a gender neutral in looking at data about bathrooms or public transportation, um, it's all designed around men. And so when we do that, we leave women out of the picture. Um, and it leads to decisions that are without maybe explicitly being sexist, end up being sexist or discriminatory in some way. I read about half of it and it's <laughs> so infuriating um, that I kind of have to read it in short little spurts because it makes me so annoyed by the default male and how uh, men <laughs> and their needs kind of affect everything that we talk about. So uh, that one's really good. Uh, still working on it. And then I just picked up at the library today, uh, The Great Pretender, The Undercover Mission That Changed Our Understanding of Madness by Susanna Callahan, which is a book about um, a 1970s study about um, how people in mental institutions are treated, uh, which I am I've been waiting on the library list, it feels like, for a really long time for. So I picked it up today, and I'm super excited to pick that one up. So that is what I will be reading next. Awesome. Um, Yeah, my last uh, – or not my last pick. Oh, my gosh. Well, my last pick for the episode. Um, I am reading Medieval Bodies, Life, Death, and Art in the Middle Ages by Jack Hartnell. Um, which is just uh, my fun nerdy read <laughs> for uh, for the time. Yeah, sounds like a good one. And with that, uh, you can find us on social media. I am at it's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please take a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, ratings and reviews help us find us more easily. And while you are there, you can subscribe to new episodes so that you'll get them the very minute that they come out. Uh, and so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.